I'm Mark Hennick. This is So-Called Normal. Hey folks, welcome to So-Called Normal. I'm Mark Hennick. Today on the show, we have Seamus O'Regan, or as you hear in our interview, Seamus O'Regan, I believe I said to him, probably very offensively, but he was very uh, accommodating of me. Uh, Seamus and I have known each other for for uh, quite a while now, actually, and he, uh, although it's an election season now, of course, a federal election season in Canada, uh, before the election was called, uh, he was Minister O'Regan. He was Minister of Indigenous Services. Prior to that, he was the Minister of Veterans Affairs. Uh, prior to that, uh, he was he spent 10 years as a co-host of Canada's longest, uh, oldest uh, uh, morning show, Canada AM, uh, which uh, I didn't appear on until uh, after he left, unfortunately. I wish we had been able to work together a little bit on Canada AM on the, on the few times that I was on. Uh, but he was a morning institution in Canada uh, for, for more than a decade. So we chat a bit about that. We chat about his, his life in politics, but also his brave decision to open up uh, about his alcoholism and, and the support that he received from uh, his workplace, which was, you know, his boss was Prime Minister Trudeau uh, and his, his uh, colleagues in Parliament. So we spend a bit of time talking about that. We chatted in his office on Parliament Hill uh, before the election was called. Uh, but thought it would be a good uh, chance to to share it with you now. So here's my conversation on so-called normal with Seamus O'Regan. I'm a member of parliament now, uh, and I'm also a cabinet minister, the Minister for Indigenous Services. Before that, I was the Minister of Veterans Affairs. And before all of that, I was a journalist for uh, 17 years. Um, um, and you did Canada AM. I don't know if we ever met on... If you were still on it, I think you came on after I left. Yeah, I think so. Uh, So I I was on Canada AM for about 10 years. Yeah. And um, uh, and a great 10 years. And it was actually during that time that we uh, realized, myself and and, uh, Bev and Jeff and Marcy, the four hosts, and our producers realized that there there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health on air. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about having a three hour show every morning is that you, you've got, you know, you've got this great expanse of time. You still do three, three and a half minute interviews, but you know, you at least, you at least, if you try and eke out some time for something important, you can. And I think it's quite fortuitous that two of those issues that were very, that, uh, uh, actually three of them, which is really interesting, were, um, mental health, indigenous issues, and veterans issues. Yeah, and uh, and you've been actively involved in, in all three. three. Of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, but I won't take credit for that. I mean, collectively, we all felt that those three issues were things that needed to be talked about more. Mm-hmm. And we made, um, we advocated to make sure that we were covering those stories as as well as we could. Mm-hmm. So um, because of that, Bell then asked me to be a Bell Let's Talk ambassador, mm-hmm. and I was, I think, for about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so it's interesting that I, but I, you know, came to terms with my addiction and, and I have been as a result of that suffering from anxiety and depression, uh, while, you know, after I had become Mm. this, uh, billboard, billboard poster guy 
foot you across the, the country, which so, is something. You hear this all the time from people who are out there doing public work and, you know, speaking about their story. I dealt with this, too. Um, I talked to Michael Landsberg about this. So many others yeah. that people expect that. Michael's, it, Michael's the pioneer. I mean, Michael's yeah. Pioneer. I mean, and, and so many people. Clara Hughes as well Clara, has talked about this. Yeah. Um, People expect you to have all your shit together once you're out there talking about recovery and mental health and and all this stuff. But it doesn't really seem to happen that way. You know? No, I was sick and doing it. Right. Complete denial. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is a, you know, a different spin on it. Yeah. Uh, and Romeo Dallaire, I think, probably brought two of those three issues that I talked about together mm-hmm. you know, quite pointedly for us. And would say some very brave things on air with us that sometimes he didn't say elsewhere that... Uh, um, really made a mark on us, yeah. I think, on that show. Now, do you think um, th- this happened long after uh, you left, but uh, Canada AM, of course, is no longer on the air after, yeah. I think, 40 years. Or 43. 43 years. Wow. Um, you know, that's partly the appetite of the audience, I think, for shorter, smaller, more entertainment-based um, journalism, I guess, or morning television. Do you think that's in- – is that the case? And do you think it's impacted how they tell stories? I think – I think – well, here we are, you know, on a podcast. Right. I think that that says something. Yeah. I think the the media industry is so in flux at the moment, mm-hmm. and the news media industry is so in flux at the moment. Um, just uh, reading an article in uh, last night in Wired magazine on on Facebook and how it's affected the news media. It's very complicated, and uh, and it's very much in flux. And uh, so when a show that, you know, had been on the air for 43 years suddenly ends on a couple of days notice, mm-hmm. uh, that's very telling. And uh, and it's it, it's tough. I, I, you know, how a lot of these traditional news organizations are just having a tough time making money. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you need and you need to make money to sustain yourself. Right. And there still seems to be, though, an appetite for what is done. I mean, yes, you know, at their, on the one hand, Canada M goes off the air after 43 years, yet there's still an appetite for long form storytelling and podcasts just like this. Podcasts yeah. are exploding now. Yeah, exactly. So people seek it out in different places. Right. Uh, I think maybe what's missing right now anyway is is kind of the the, the more singular experiences mm-hmm. the you know everybody gathering around and maybe I'm just a romantic for this sort of stuff but you know everybody gathering around and still I'm watching the 60 minutes once a week or right. watching the, this this week has has seven days kind of thing I mean I, you know Game of Thrones if you're a, well now it's Game of Thrones yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but that's not you know that, that, that's not news yeah. and in fact I was refl- I'm not on Twitter anymore because frankly it was making me too anxious yeah and okay. and I uh, but I was thinking last night. You know, I mean, that's one thing I miss about Twitter. It's just right. kind of is that is that a kind of as divide as as divisive as it can be. It does bring people together in a collective experience, sure. and you know, you can it, it just adds to the excitement of of a shared experience. Yeah. But you and and maybe your background in uh, your long background in media before you got into politics helps you with this, but. Um, you I know. don't know how much I got to tell you. It helps me, but anyway. No, but just in terms of being a public figure, and with that comes, uh, I think, a certain necessary training to let a lot of stuff roll off your back. That you know, viewer, you're going to trigger emotions, opinions in viewers. They're going to share those with you. Um, yeah, I think. Sure, I think. Uh, uh, I noticed that I joined Twitter ten years ago, a little over ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's changed a lot, though. Mm-hmm. And it was a very uh, uh, passive and I would say kind of exciting, interactive experience to have with your viewers initially. Right. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's become tougher now. 
and and it doesn't and it doesn't necessarily have to be because you're a public figure. Right. Uh, I think that you can you know you could be anybody, and if and if fifty people in your high school decide that they want to pile on you, mm -hmm. that feels horrific. Yeah, sure, uh, because it's incessant now, and you can't hide from it. Right. You know, if you're bullied at school when I was a kid. You know, I always knew that you could go home at three thirty, four o'clock, and it would go away, and tempers would go, and maybe you wouldn't be in vogue the next day right. for everybody. But now that's not the case, and and everybody can get on without any consequence. Yeah, and it's always on. It's all, and it's always on. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, how did it's you, a very, it's it's in that sense, it's different. Yeah. So how did you then take the step? Because it's hard to do to either completely cut that off or you said are you on twitter at all anymore no 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 i mean i'll i'll, I'll write my stuff and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put it out so that is, i mean so it's my voice i think that sure. that's really important it's just i'm not as exposed anymore to it yeah. so it's not on my devices yeah and i it, i don't i would say it's probably not coincidental that i've had some incredibly productive months since i've been off it yeah sure. and i just feel better so you you just i think for each person you kind of reach that point where you're like this is not i'm not getting as much out of this yeah, yeah. as i as it's taking from me that's that's an interesting and if you reach that point then why you want it you gotta ask yourself so not not to but uh, instagram's great well i was gonna say not not to torture this segue too much but that sounds an awful lot like the moment of change in addiction as well uh when did you realize or did you realize that that it got to a point where it's not doing it's not serving you when your family right? tells you when your friends yeah. tell you yeah which they did with me in a kind of a coordinated effort right uh that my my brother and some close friends had had, had pulled together and and uh that's when you know. Yeah. If people who you love and trust say, "Okay, you've you've got a problem. We need to we need to fix it." Yeah. And did uh, you listen to them? Did you accept? I them? did. Yeah. Yeah. Quite readily, mm. and was immediately immediately relieved. I think there are different levels of it for everybody, and I think that everybody handles these things differently. Yeah. Um, uh, with me, you know, that's that's how it happened, and. I think, you know, to the point of something you were discussing earlier, I think when it comes to mental health, too, I think that everybody has to realize that there are different levels. Mm. And it doesn't, I think the most important thing, and I always say this, and I was saying it when I really needed to hear these words myself and absorb them, but I believed it then, uh, and I believe it even obviously more strongly now, is that it doesn't have to be catastrophic. Right. It doesn't have to be... The end of the world it doesn't have to be so big right you know you still go to a doctor when you're not well you don't go to a doctor because you have stage four cancer every time you go to the doctor for preventative treatment mm -hmm. or for ailments that run the gamut in between mm -hmm. and um i could have been much worse if i'd been allowed to keep going yeah and i would have without a doubt ruined you know, a very uh, nascent uh, political career. Yeah. So now, when you so came out, uh, speaking of your, your political career, your family, uh, when you came out, you admitted that you had a problem and you sought help. How, mm -hmm. What was the response like to the people around you, both that knew you and that had voted for you? Wow, really positive. Yeah. I, that's, we are so lucky to live in the times that we live in. Mm. Um, for me, for two particular reasons. Uh, as a as a as a gay married man, there's never been a better time to be alive and to be happy, mm. and it'll only get better. It seems to me. 
Uh, and uh, as somebody in public life with um, uh, who suffered from mental illness mm. and sought help and did it publicly, uh, there's never been a better time. Which was harder, coming out as gay or coming out as an alcoholic? Man, oh man. <laughs> Don't let me choose between my children. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I covered both so much. Oh, God, that's a, I don't know, that's a tough one. But I think uh, one thing that I learned in therapy, and I don't think this is unusual, um, but in my time in rehab, is that one was definitely tied to the other. Right. Uh, I came out late. Um, it was stressful. I made it look like it was very easy. Uh, and it wasn't, as it turned mm. out. And I didn't really appreciate how hard a time I had with it. Mm. And Were you uh, already in public life by then? In yeah. journalism? Yeah. 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 And I don't, you know, anyway, I struggle with it. I realize now how much I struggle with right. it. And that, and then drinking a lot uh, was something that helped me cope. Yeah. And I, you know, that mine, mine is not a terribly unusual story. No. No, all. I mean, there's almost always a reason why people engage in the coping behaviors that they do. And you had mentioned you were experiencing depression and anxiety anyway. Certainly as a result of, I think more as a result of the drinking, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I think that's that's the case. It's, it is hard to know. And this is something that, you know, I think still causes people to, you know, who study these things to stay up late at night. Yeah. And and it's something that was taught to me. It, it, in that vicious cycle, it's hard to know where one begins and one ends. Right. Whether, you know, what starts the depression and the anxiety. But there's no question that it creates a vicious, vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. And, uh, and one begets the other. And that I know for sure. Yeah. You know, and I think at some point it doesn't really matter, you know, whether it is the chicken or whether it is the egg. Right. Uh, you know, you're in, the, you're in the middle of the swirl and you're going to know to stop it. Yeah. So now we tell people, uh, have been telling people for the last, I think it's been eight years of Bell Let's Talk or, or um, yeah, eight, seven or eight years. It's been, yeah. a, or it's been a while anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the core messages in the mental health movement, the advocacy world, is to tell people to reach out for help. Yeah. And that's all well and good, uh, assuming a few things. You have somebody to reach back. Yeah. Uh, and you actually get the help that you reach out for. I mean, you did. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, I think, you know, it. Uh, it was it was not easy though. Right. Um, we chose, you know, in terms of where I would go to rehab. When you make that decision, it is an extraordinary leap, mm. and you have to act quickly. Like I, once I did it, I left here. Like literally, my office here in the in the neighboring building, with the suit I had in a toiletry bag, wow. and I just went, "Let's go," yeah. and. And, you know, uh, my my old boss, Brian Tobin, and his wife and my husband, we had dinner. We looked at a place online that was in Toronto and we thought that's the place to go to. And I went and and it wasn't and it wasn't. Hmm. And but I didn't want to leave it right. because I didn't want to give up on it and I didn't want to give up on the process. How did you know that it wasn't the right place and that it wasn't you reacting Oh, I don't want to betray anybody's really. privacy, to be honest sure. with you, uh, because of other people who were there. It's just it, it was definitely not for me. Right. It, it, you know, uh, and I knew that I would not get well there. Right. And so then you're conflicted because yeah. you don't want anybody to think that you're giving up on the process. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then it was we found another place online. Like now we were just Googling places. <laughs> that's like, like that's no, what, I'm that's not, what everybody does. Yeah. And then yeah. and then you. 
And then you, you know, I, I, after two nights at this place, I had my sister pick me up and then her, her husband and I went out and we went to another place near Toronto. And, uh, and, you know, there was no, and, you know, they couldn't wait to take my credit card, but I looked around with, this Mm -hmm. is not it. I mean, you know, I don't have anything in common. Uh, And, and it's just different diseases. It's different, different things. I knew it. And I said to my, my brother-in-law, you tell me. And he's like, no, you got to get out of here. <laughs> you know? And then we found the place. Yeah. And it had been recommended to me by you know, friends of mine who were doctors. And I just drove out there. Yeah. And we drove about six hours that night. And, and I just showed up, hmm. not knowing if I could get in. I did a, an application on the phone on the way. And they said, well, we don't have any openings. And I said, well, I'm just going to show up. Hmm. And so I know the intensity of that. Yeah. And we have, as a society... I mean, this is something I really carry with me because I know it. When you work up that courage to make that leap, you you have to have you have you got to be ready to accept people, right? And that is really tough. I mean, we have a society as a society really have to decide that those investments are worth it, so that when people make those decisions, that the help is there for them right there. Yeah. You know, I had family drive me around. I had people like, you know, I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, and and I, you know, got into a place. And that in itself was just luck. Yeah. So uh, what would I have done if I hadn't gone into that place? I, I don't know. I probably, I thought about it. I probably would have gone back to my sister's and hunkered down and waited. Yeah. Um, but I'm really fortunate that I did. And then I was, you know, almost five weeks in there. Yeah. And uh, what, I felt like a million bucks since. What was the what was that first night like that you were in there for the long haul? Um, scary, I think. Oh, relieved, but still scary. Yeah. I guess in the sense that you know I had to detox for a night. Right. And how long had you gone prior to that? Like, did, or or were you drinking every day? Or was oh it yeah, a, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So but just at that point, at that point, I hadn't in a couple of days. Right. And. Um, Anyway, I was fine. I mean, I, sure. didn't, I didn't have any issue with it. And uh, and I, I immediately saw the guy who ran the facility and who founded it. And he had founded it based on his own addictions issues when he was mm. about my age. And uh, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant guy who I still keep in touch with. And he, he just said, you're going to be fine. <laughs> you're going to be fine. Mm. I think he could sense how scared he was. And I think he just knew... Um, how badly I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, and there's just, there's just varying grades of sure. everything. And, that, know, and I, that he just, he just looked, Moon, you're going to be fine. And it yeah. was just like, oh, okay. I actually myself in my own experience too find that to be um, one of the most inspiring reassurances that you can get, right? Because when you don't feel fine, you don't think anything's ever going to get better. Right? No, and it's nice when it's kind of a third body yeah. and, thir- and, and somebody with qualifications, <laughs> you know, that's also, that matters. Yeah. And when he just looks at you and says, you're going to be fine. And that's, you know, that's some, I, I always say, I'll, I'll share with people this anecdote too. And I've said, I've said it a few times, but it's really important. And I think this is, for me, it was a huge turning point. When my sister came and picked me up from the first place I went to, um, she said, my God, we've got to get you some clothes, some, some clothes for rehab. We don't know what. <laughs> so we went to Winners because we just love Winners. So right. We went to Winners. I needed some leisure wear, like yeah. some gym outfits, something comfortable. Yeah. And because uh, I had no clothes except for, you know. Not your suit and tie. My suit and tie. MP pin. Yeah. <laughs> my MP pin. No joke. That's true. Yeah. My yeah. MP pin. Yeah. So, you know, how do you, 
how do you dress? So anyway, we went to Winners, and and, and as you get up to the cash, you know, there's all these there, you know, candies and stuff like that. And I bought this. I grabbed this big bag of organic candy. Excuse mm. me. And and my sister's like, "What are you doing?" And I said, <laughs> "I'm buying candy." And she said, "But you don't like candy." And I went, "I know." Mm. And there was silence. She said, "Put it back." And I went, "No." <laughs> Which we kind of laughed at, but I bought the candy. Mm. And when I was admitted to this place the next day, or later that day, actually. It's a long day. Um, he, he said to me, uh, the doctor, the admitting doctor said, anything strange happened to you? And I said, no. And I said, actually, yeah, I bought candy. And there was silence and he went, well, your brain actually bought the candy. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? Um, he said, your brain accepted that it's not going to get any sugars that it would normally get from alcohol. Yeah. So it bought the candy. And I said, I surrender. Mm. If my brain has been acting independently of me and my mind right. for physiological reasons, right. because it needs sugars and has been, you know, one of the reasons that I've been driven to drink, mm. then I surrender because yeah. I can't compete with that. It's very, when you do that, that's, that to me was a real turning point because sure. I just, I surrendered myself totally and realized I was not in control of my life. Right. And I, I had to stop kidding myself. And this was a, this was a, something physiological, it was something physical. And I had to let go and allow professionals to take over. Mm -hmm. And that was a turning point. I think, you know, without talking about any um, particular programs, I think it's fairly widely known that that's often the first step is to surrender yourself over. Why, why do you think that? I don't know if you participate in a 12 step or anything, but why do you think that is so important for people? What are, what are they clinging to? I, I don't know. Um, you, you, for, for people, I don't know, for a type A type like me, mm -hmm. uh, that I can get through anything. Right. Uh, that I can outthink it, that I can overcome it. Uh, and uh, there's a tremendous humility with, that comes with, no, you cannot. Right. And, you know, we all think that we have some semblance of control. The idea that your brain is going out shopping right. independently right. of you, <laughs> driving to places, uh, is that's something. Were if you, you really, if you really let that sink in, that is yeah. quite that is quite something. So, so Irish and Newfoundlander, were you raised Catholic? Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> Seamus O'Regan, like, what yeah. do you think? No, I was, I was because this is this idea that you're not in control. That, that and especially I grew up in Cape Breton as well, Irish Catholic. Yeah, uh, life is hard. Life's and, hard. And yeah, you, you figure it out, but you know, yeah. you can do something with that too. And it sounds. And like this you is are. in keeping with that, you yeah. know, confronting the fact that some things are hard and hard things are hard. And I will, you know, I will, I will work hard then to yeah. to overcome it. Yeah. And um, the the other thing I had to learn to do was to be alone mm. again and not to be alone with my own devices and and left my own devices and alone to. Do things other than you know at that at what I have been doing alone in for the years previous, which was well, drink. And your whole career has been about people paying attention to you. Yeah, right? and I went through. So, so what they taught me was you know there is a few things. I mean, genetics. I you know mm -hmm. genetically, my people are prone to drink. Mm -hmm. uh, culturally, uh, my people are prone to drink. Mm -hmm. um, so the third thing was a stressor, and the stressor for me was unemployment. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Uh, I had left media. I was not working 
And the, getting back to your point about how the media game had changed a lot, the industry had changed, the profession had changed, journalism had changed, and it was it was tough to get work. Yeah. And uh, I had a mortgage. I had a, a husband who's you know his his job is are kind of precarious, and um, you know we we suddenly found ourselves extreme. I was extremely stressed, and suddenly the drinking became something I did. Uh, on my own mm-hmm. to, to get through the day to cope mm-hmm. and that's you know that is com- this is all utterly and totally normal this is what happens yeah. uh, when people are confronted with what they feel to be overbearing stress yeah and uh, and that was for me i did not react well to unemployment and i did not react well to um being a being a being a self-contractor or being a you know being self-employed yeah. being in charge of, of, of running my life right. i i realized that my whole life i had been in university institutions or in you know in a, in a structured job environment right. I mean, canada am was an extremely structured crazy but structured life yeah. that began at four in the morning and ended late at night and everything was worked out and people looked after things you're and told uh, what to say where to look what, where to yeah, stand yeah 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 <laughs> you know i mean your freest moments were in front of the camera ironically yeah, and the rest of it was very structured yeah. and without that structure it was i i was lost yeah i was lost so then you go in for for treatment and it seems to have what you said it's worked yeah. wonders for you um what's the what's the journey been like after that that's the part that we almost never hear about right you get the help but then what happens after i got the work you got the work <laughs> got that helped too hey Which yeah. is the, the best what, what a funny solution to <laughs> unemployment related yes. stress yes. employment right yes yeah, so you know i got the job i won the election but right. the 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 sickness stayed yeah my brain had, was, had, had changed and I, even, even in victory, was sick. Right. And, but that's when it had to, had to end because sure. I had everything now. Like I had it. Yeah. You know, I had what I wanted. And, um, uh, and, you know, so since then it's been the work. You just, yeah. I'm so grateful, grateful, grateful for meaningful work. So how do you, do you find that your... Uh, especially your experience. Uh, Speaking of which, I got to vote in two. Yeah, no, yeah, so yeah. I'm going to let you go, but yeah. I don't want to let you go without talking a little bit about what you're currently doing for Indigenous Affairs, Indigenous Services, sorry. Um, do you think that your experience has has made you better at the job that you're currently doing? I think it makes you more empathetic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Bob, Bob Ray, when he was on the show, he said the same thing too, that it, it, it helps you to build a connection with people that maybe you wouldn't have had before. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And even in everyday life. I mean, you know, Steve and I go out shopping. Uh, he can tell by the way that somebody approaches me what they want to talk about. So some people just, oh, I watched you on TV and I love or, you know, you're doing this or yeah, I don't like what you're doing. But when somebody wants to talk to you about yeah. what they're going through or their children are going through, their parents are going through or a friend is going through and or what they're going through, he knows like and he just knows to kind of walk away. Right. And and allow us a few minutes. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a gift. Yeah, uh, it's a gift if people feel that they can come up to me, and it, it's deeply moving to me to be invited into their to lives be invited into that yeah. into that is deeply deeply moving. So when one of those people comes up to you, and we'll we'll end it here so you can go vote, but when one of those people comes up to you and they think that something might be wrong, or if somebody reaches out to you and tells you that they think they have a problem, uh, what would you say to them? Get help. Um, fight for that help, and that's not easy to say. Because we, we still have so much work to do on building those resources. I mean, mm-hmm. but the two portfolios that I've 
that one that I hold and one that I held, Veterans Affairs and now Indigenous Services, we are still building up those capacities. But we all need those capacities, you know? Uh, the worst thing that we can do is get people to talk bravely and to bring them out into the light and then leave them there. Mm. That is the worst thing we can do. Mm. You know, I spoke to a woman once who had won a ment as a, she won notoriety as a mental health champion, champion of mental health. She couldn't get work because then people Googled her name. Right. And they didn't want to hire her because she was open about, about that is the worst this only works if we're there for people. So, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that we're trying to build up that capacity federally and, and within the two departments that I dealt with, you know, that, we, that we've yeah. been trying to build up that capacity, but we have a long way to go. Well, me, and you can't, when people work up the courage to ask for help, make sure that that help is there for them. Yeah. You know, it's, that's the struggle. That's a struggle you know, for us right now. That's a huge challenge. That's you know, the big next chapter yeah. that we're all working on. In a, a liberal democracy like Canada, you would expect that that's the least we can do for people. Yeah. Absolutely. Your words and mine. Yeah. Well, she and Miss O'Regan. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was practicing. That's a dingle in my head. <laughs> Well done, sir. Thank you so much for uh, your time today. And uh, I'll let you go, uh, go vote. Go vote. All right. Thanks, she. Good to talk to you. That's it. That's my conversation with Seamus O'Regan. Uh, he was the Minister of Indigenous Services before the election was called, uh, and now he's campaigning back on the campaign trail. Uh, so go uh, check him out on uh, social media. I know he said that he's not doing as much of the social media thing anymore, uh, but really look into his story as well and, and uh, some of the things that he's said about uh, mental health and uh, about his his battle with, with addiction, with alcoholism, uh, I think is really inspiring uh, for for anybody who's anywhere on that recovery journey themselves. So I'm so grateful to uh, Seamus for talking to me uh, on the podcast. Uh, if you want to hear more conversations, uh, you know, we also talked to Bob Ray a while back ago uh, and, and lots of other people. So uh, go over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, scroll down to the bottom, leave us a star rating, uh, look through some of the others. You know, Rosie O'Donnell's on there. We got Glenn Close. Uh, we had uh, all, ki all kinds of other people. I mean, there's there's uh, almost 40 at, at this point uh, episodes on there and lots more to come. Uh, new episodes every single Monday. So subscribe so you can tune in. Uh, you can also find out which episodes are coming up and, and who's going to be on them uh, by following me on social media. I'm at Mark Hennick. That's at M-A-R-K. H-E-N-I-C-K on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, everywhere else. Uh, so go and follow me on social media and you can learn uh, more about the show there. Uh, the show's everywhere too. If, if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can get it on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Play Store, Google Podcasts, whatever it's called. <laughs> and you can get it everywhere else. So thanks for your support for the show. Thank you to uh, Seamus O'Regan for coming on and chatting. Uh, this has been So-Called Normal, and I'm Mark Hennick. Mm -hmm.